Well, last uh, Sunday we had a bit of history in the children's talk. Um, John Hitchcock gave a very helpful uh, summary in ten minutes of Forestfold history for the children, which we all benefited from. And uh, got a little historical slot this evening. Um, I was given this from Nellie Obbard's papers. Nellie died this last year. Uh, she would have been 100 this year. And somebody passed on to me um, this envelope with a piece of paper in, which is a, a poem uh, written by, it says, Mr E. Littleton. So I'm assuming that's Ebenezer Littleton, who was pastor here until 1920. And um, he wrote a poem. I don't can't quite match everything together, because in it, it talks about a 100 years on. Um, and he finished his pastorate before we'd reached the centenary. But I don't think there's anyone around to, to actually sort of... Uh, Cross, cross all that and work out quite the, the date differences. But it's a very old poem by the pastor here and I thought it followed on well from what John said and would be an interesting thing to read this evening. There's a couple of words I don't quite understand so I've made my best guess at them. God saw the forest's drear expanse, a desert without sun, enrolled in gloom, in darkness dressed, a wilderness unwon. As in creation's wondrous day, he looked on earth's vast void, and from his high eternal throne, the shades of night destroyed. And set in heaven the light of day, and o'er the waking world, his high Creature, majesty, the life of being hurled. So these, amidst the forest gloom, he spoke creation's word. Amidst the listening foresters, the wondrous voice was heard. Amongst them spoke the voice of God, His spirit strove with men and on the tablet of their hearts placed his immortal pen. And daily he thereon engraved his mind to them unrolled and gathered with them love divine within the forest fold. From smugglers' haunts, you'll realise the reference to that from what John said, from smugglers' haunts with rugged hearts into the fold they came and there his servants God brought forth to magnify his name to shed the beams of heavenly love upon their spirits bold to lift aloft eternal light within the forest fold and these the light of God has shone one hundred rolling years since first these foresters of old beheld it through their tears. And now in faithfulness adorned, descending as of old, the immortal smile of God again has filled the forest fold. That's nice, isn't it? A nice reflection on God's mercy in this place when it was first established, 1832, uh, bringing people to himself and showing them mercy 
and uh, a pattern of grace and faithfulness which continued then for about a hundred years and has continued for another ninety odd years since then. Well, we've got a lot to give thanks for and pray about, so shall we join together in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you with uh, grateful praise and thanksgiving in what we've uh, been thinking of in terms of your blessing upon this place and the people in this place, more to the point. Lord, we, we come in memory of changing times We were thinking on a Sunday of how different the culture and environment society is from when first a church was established here. Yet we're thankful for a God who is eternal, unchanging, steadfast, faithful, always the same. A God of steadfast love, faithful love. We're thankful for the everlasting gospel. And we give thanks again that you were uh, full of grace towards some of those folk who who first started to meet here and added to them, bringing people um, into your fold, the fold of Christ. And we thank you that uh, the decades since have been graciously um, filled with many additions to your flock here in this part of Crowborough. We thank you for your works of grace, those trophies of grace across the years, and we thank you that we've still been seeing them. More people added to the church, even in this last year. We praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is the same, which has been the the bedrock of the life of the church here. We thank you for the way in which it's been read and preached on and we trust lived out and proclaimed here over many decades. Lord, we come before you as an imperfect church, blessed, favoured, imperfect Lord, we come to you as imperfect people. Uh, we don't present ourselves as a, as, as a model church. We have many inadequacies. Uh, we see other churches which are stronger and, and better and um, more, more as we should be. We thank you for them. We praise you for them. We pray that you would lead us on as a group of believers here. May we rest on your word. May we be united. Lord, you have given uh, very kindly a heritage of, of love in the relationships of believers in this place in general, in large measure, exceptional measure perhaps. Oh Lord, we pray for that to be kept. We pray for unity and love, uh, uh, one-mindedness in Christ to be the ongoing pattern of relationships here. Lord, we, we pray that you would help us Uh, We were originally established as a lighthouse 
and that came through the poem that we just thought about together. We pray that that spreading of light from the work and ministry and the lives of this church may continue. Well, we pray to see more additions. We do not know your purposes of grace um, for us as a church and for others around, but we uh, we pray. We, we have older people that we care for who are not in Christ and we want them reached and saved. We have um, toddlers, mums and carers that don't know of the gospel and we want them saved. We have Sunday school children and Sunday school parents. We have uh, friends and we have uh, men and women who have been friends or contacts of the church. We have many who have come to this church over uh, the years, um, whether as family or just for a period who no longer come. And Lord, we remember the the compassion of your heart to those that are lost and we pray that you might continue to add to us those that uh, should be saved. Lord, help us to go onwards. Bless the leaders of the church here, the elders, the deacons. We thank you for them, for their service. Give them great wisdom, help them to lead and serve aright. We thank you that so many serve in leading other ministries and do other aspects of the life of this church so willingly, diligently, with such hard work. Lord, bless us as a gospel team together. And may we be seeking your glory. Sadly, Lord, we are often too concerned for our own reputation, our own glory, and that is shameful. Uh, we pray instead to be taken up with the one who should have the preeminence that we might glorify the Lord Jesus Christ together. So, Lord, bless us uh, as we come today. We thank you to have your word open. We pray that your spirit might use it in our lives in our hearts and that you will be praised as a result of the things that we hear and think of and act out and react to this evening. We ask all this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, in a minute we're going to have our second... There are a lot of you here. I've been at the front looking this way and suddenly there are a lot of people. It's a great privilege to be with you. It's lovely to, to share uh, this time together, and I do thank God for this church. Just to say something about the booklets, um, at the moment I have a job, I pastor pastors basically, uh, so I work for uh, the Pastors Academy, which is based at London Seminary in Finchley, and especially when pastors may need to talk to someone perhaps outside the fellowship, there are difficulties, um, then, then I'm available for, for those men. But I've taken to writing little booklets to give away freely to pastors, but then I, I went beyond that and I've written one or two things which I thought might be useful for uh, church members. And one of the things that was in my mind was... Um, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that we might be forgetting our history as evangelical Christians. And so you may hear John from time to time refer to Charles Spurgeon or J.C. Ryle or William Carey or John Knox or Mary Slessor or Francis Ridley Havergal. 
And you think, yeah, I've heard those names, but who were they? What did they actually do? So I've written two little booklets called Roots, Roots 1 and Roots 2, and they make excellent bedtime reading. So they just give you, there are seven little biographies, just short, so that you get the, the overview. You don't have to be a big reader. That you just get the, the idea, ah, oh, that's who that person was. That's what they did. Okay, so they're just, they're free. Um, and then I've got a booklet here to give away, which I'm, I'm not sure I should give to you, actually. Um, this is called Taming Dragons. It's really written for pastors. And it's about how pastors should deal with difficult people in the church. <laughs> but I thought perhaps, you know, you might have to, uh, might need to just, just read that for yourselves. So, um, and I think there's another little booklet out there on preaching. So I just thought that those might be helpful to you and it's an anniversary and it's good to have something to just, uh, give away. You know, that, that, that's the kind of idea. Well, please turn to, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And, um, uh, our title tonight is Worship, What is the Church Doing? Worship, What is the Church Doing? And we'll unfold that, God willing, as we look at that in a moment. Let's just pray before we go any further. Father, we are the most privileged people. We want to thank you for the great gift of your Son, that he who from eternity equal with the Father and the Spirit, Lord, should give his own life so that all our sins are forgiven. Lord, this is astonishing. Every time we think of it, it takes our breath away. And Lord, especially when perhaps we have fallen into sin and we know just how corrupt we are, and yet Christ loves us And there is forgiveness for us. And Lord, this is just wonderful. We are privileged indeed to be Christian people. And Lord, I just pray now that you would be with us here. Oh Lord, I do pray that in a real sense, the the church here would forget a visiting preacher. Lord, much, much more may may we be aware of your word and you speaking to us and the truth and the wonder of Christ, Lord, as we think on this subject. Please bless us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship, what on earth, what is the church doing? Well, worship, actually, is the most important thing you or I will ever do. Worship is the most important thing you or I will ever do. First, it is a simple fact that we were created to worship. This was God's purpose for us from the beginning. This is tied up with us being made in the image of God to show his glory, to reflect his glory. And it is what makes us truly human. It might be called the internal design of the heart, so that even when we were sinners, when we didn't know God, our natural reaction was not not to worship, it was rather to find something else to worship, because we're made for worship. So we might have worshipped our family, that was the most important thing, or our football team, or whatever it was. But you're made to worship. 
Second, the very creation around us, and it's wonderful to be here in Forest Fold, the very creation around us points us to God. We can't help looking for some rhyme and reason to it all. We were made to seek him and to reach out to him, says Acts 17.27. The creation points us to God. So both our inner hearts, made for worship, and our very environment, both are set up to lead us to honour and worship our great God. To worship is to desire and admire and join the choir of his praise. It's a heart thing, desire and admiring, but then also living, of course, but as well declaring his praise. It is to honour him freely from our hearts. It is to acknowledge the infinite worth of God, hence worship, worth-ship. That's what it's about. And Jesus actually speaks of our salvation in terms of God the Father seeking worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So it's one of the marks of really being a Christian that there is something in us that wants to worship the God of the Bible, the true and living God. Our salvation is restoring us to our true purpose, our true selves, our place in the universe. And so there is a sense in which the focus of a church is the worship of God. I felt it was good to remind you of this at this church anniversary. This is the focus. Your focus is God and his glory, his worship. So using Hebrews 10 verses 19 to 25, we're going to briefly look at five crucial questions uh, about worship to set us on the right lines, I hope. Worship? What is the church doing when it worships? Well, these five questions, I think, will answer some things for you. Question number one. What happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? When we come together to worship, we meet God. We meet God. The writer is using Old Testament imagery here. Israel came together at the tabernacle and later the temple to worship. And I'll explain more later. But you see that it says here, verse 19, um, that we have, we enter the most holy place. Or again, verse 19, verse 22, we draw near. In other words, we draw near to God. When we, what happens when we worship? We draw near to God. We meet with God. Now, some of you might say, hold on a moment. I thought God was everywhere. That's true. But he is not everywhere in the same way or with the same intensity. If he were, that is called monomodalism, by the way, if, if, if you think like that, that God is just the same everywhere. 
If he were, of course, there would be no point in coming to church. But God has different modes, different ways of being present, and he is especially and graciously present when his people gather to worship him. So you remember Jesus said, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Matthew 18, verse 20. We meet God when we come to worship. Maybe we're spiritually out of tune and we don't perceive him as we should, but we meet God when we come to worship. Some people say, oh, I can meet God when I'm out in the country. Let me say this to you. Suppose you might be out in the country for a walk and you find 50p (laughs) on the pathway, all right? And you think, oh, that's good. Um, But if you needed more money next week, would it make sense to go out into the country to look for another 50p? No, it wouldn't. It would make sense to go to the bank, wouldn't it? Of course it would. You go to the cash machine or whatever. If you want to meet God, yes, you might have an experience of God out in the country. Like you might just find 50p on the, on the pathway. But if you really want to meet God, come to church. Come to the place where God has said, I will specially be present. And of course, when we meet God, it changes us. We behold his glory and we are changed from one degree of glory into another. So what happens when we worship? We meet God. Second question, how can we worship? In our verses, the author writes there, verse 19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. How can we enter the most holy place? to worship the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is known. According to the writer, we can do so confidently through the blood of Jesus, the blood, of course, shed on the cross. Under the old covenant of Old Testament times, if the people were to draw near to the living God, they had to bring a sacrifice, an animal. There had to be blood every single time they drew near to God because the just deserts of sin in the presence of a holy God is death. There are all those animal sacrifices substituting for people. Substituting for people who's... And... and, 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 and Hebrews 9... Sorry, Hebrews... Um, that had to, had to happen, all these animal sacrifices substituting for people whose blood sprinkled on the altar 
and sometimes on the people by the high priest. That, that's what had to happen to come to God. But not anymore. Hebrews 9, uh, verse 12. Uh, no, Hebrews 9, verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve, worship the living God? The blood of bulls and goats couldn't really do do the job. The perfect and precious blood of the Son of God, however, secures eternal redemption forever. Purifies us, therefore, for an eternal worship. So we can draw near to God. How do we draw near to God? Through the blood of Jesus. Now, it's worth reflecting, isn't it? That in Old Testament times, because the animal blood could not actually atone for human sin, it was kind of like a stopgap until Christ came. Because the animal blood could not really atone for human sin, it was only the high priest, once a year, who was allowed into the most holy place. But because of the blood of Jesus, the writer says to us, we, all Christians, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Isn't that fantastic? Brothers and sisters, we can all enter into the special presence of God and worship because of the blood of Jesus. And then we ought to say this, If that is the case, how special, how sacred is worship? If it took the blood of Christ for us to enable us to enter into worship and engage with God, then we don't try to tell God how he is to be worshipped. Rather, we say, Lord, how do you want us to worship? It's called the regulative principle. What does your word say, Lord, about how we should worship? Praise and prayer and preaching, etc. But how can we worship? By the blood of Jesus. So what happens when we worship? How can we worship? Here's the next question. Where do we worship? Where do we worship? The writer, again, of course, is using Old Testament language concerning Israel's tabernacle and and temple. When we think about that, there was this holy place, wasn't there? There was was the 
tabernacle and there was this special cut off room at the end, the Holy of Holies. It was there in this tent. That's where the high priest, but where do we enter? Where do we worship? And the answer is quite startling. If the how of worship is Jesus, the where of worship is heaven. Is heaven. Physically, we may meet in a building of bricks and mortar, but spiritually, we worship in heaven. If you look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, You'll see the point, it says here, the point of what we are saying is this, we do not have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary. We do, sorry, we do have such a, such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Notice the author there equates the sanctuary with where Jesus is sitting now, at the right hand of God, in heaven. As our great high priest, Jesus sat down at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and that's where he serves in the true tabernacle. But that's what is in mind in chapter 10, verse 19, when the writer speaks of the most holy place through which, through the Lord Jesus, we can confidently enter. When we meet as God's people, we're not just meeting in this world. When we meet as God's people, we are counted through the Holy Spirit as meeting in heavenly places. That realm is invisible to us with our natural eyes but we are not invisible to it. Heaven sees us. And so we worship by faith. When we gather in church on Sunday yes we're together and yes we worship on the earth but by faith we are actually entering into the heavenly realms with our worship. Hebrews 12, you see, makes the same point. If you'd like to turn there, verses 22 to 24, makes the same point. There we read that when we come to worship, we don't come to what may be touched, like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, that you can touch. We don't come to that which may be touched when they assembled at Mount Sinai. Instead, we come, verse 22... You have come to Mount Zion too, the heavenly Jerusalem. Not you will come, you have come. You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You you know what that that means. (laughs) Jesus' words don't speak of calling for judgment, but rather calling for forgiveness. 
and cleansing and atonement. That's where we meet God. That's where we worship, in the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's why, just underlining this, it's interesting, I, I took the, um, a, little, a little church recently through the book of Revelation. But it's very interesting, the opening, ver- the opening chapters of Revelation, John, the writer, uh, kind of blurs the distinction between heaven and earth. You ever thought about this? So those seven letters to the churches are written to who? The angels of the churches. Don't find angels in churches. Find angels in heaven. But then a bit later, in chapter 4, John sees the throne of God and around them are seated 24 elders. Hold on. Elders you find in church. Angels in heaven, but John has kind of mixed it up. And he's indicating to us, when we meet as churches, it's not just an earthly thing. There's a heavenly dimension. You see. Worship? What is the church doing? It's serious, isn't it? What do you think you're doing when you come on a Sunday? I'm so glad you do come on a Sunday. And of course you come together in this building. Brilliant. But there's much more going on than that. Where do you worship? In heaven. Your praises, your prayers ascend to the throne of God. And that's why the corporate worship of the church is so special. Because gathering together to worship parallels the gathered worship in heaven itself around God's throne. If we forget this, Sunday worship is cheapened. People begin to, you know, well, just go to see my friends and, ah, glad you see your friends. It's good. But there's a lot more going on than that. Don't forget this. If we remember this, we come with reverence. We come with love and joy, but we realise there's something here which is much bigger than just getting together on a Sunday. So that's where... (laughs) We worship. Got it? So we've seen what happens when we worship. We meet God. We've seen how through the Lord Jesus Christ. Where? In the heavenly realms. Why do we worship? Well, that's now our fourth question. Well, we have already given one answer. We were made for worship. That's why we worship. But a second huge answer is, of course, Because God is so, so worthy of worship. That's why we worship. And as Christians, we know that. God is the fountain of reality, the source of all that is good, but in particular, he is the God of the cross, the God of grace, the God of forgiveness to sinners. 
who were powerless when Christ died. Nothing we could do to save ourselves, says Romans 5. But still he loved us and saved us. Through Christ he has reconciled sinners to his holy self. And we see this afresh as we worship. The new and living way into God's presence, verse 20, is Jesus. In the Old Testament tabernacle or temple, there was this, you remember this huge curtain uh, uh, between where worship was carried out, people outside, and the most holy place. This curtain in between. Uh, there God's presence was, was between the wings of the cherubim. That There, in the most holy place, sometimes the Shekinah glory would be there. Shining out above the Ark of the Covenant. And in a sense, that big curtain separated heaven and earth. Separated God's holy presence from the people. That curtain, in a sense, was the meeting place between heaven and earth. And Jesus was like that curtain, the writer is saying. In an earthly body dwelt the Son of God from heaven. (coughs) Heaven and earth met in him, God and man. But when he died, our sins were dealt with. And of course, so we read, this is Mark 15, 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. The way was open into the most holy place. God had done it, torn it from the top because Jesus had died. The way to God was open for us and so we could draw near, we can draw near with a clear conscience even though we're sinners. We don't have to feel I shouldn't be here. I'm out of place here in God's presence. We don't have to feel that anymore. We can have a clear conscience, verse 22. Our sins are done and we are pure priests, washed clean for God's service. Those are the blessings of the new covenant. Not the animal sacrifices, but God's own son has died for us. This is the the great new thing. We see these things. As we come and hear the gospel on Sundays, we see these things. We see God, as it were, by faith. And we see his grace. And we see how worthy of worship he is. And that's why we worship. Why do we worship? Because when we worship, God does something. He renews, as it were. And underlines the covenant, the new covenant with us. We hear the good news again that God loves sinners. He says to the woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He says to Zacchaeus, the outcast that people hated, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. I want to be with you and you and you and you. We are reassured that it's not so much our hold on Christ 
but his hold on us. Faithful. His hold. <laughs> Think of a. My wife has been watching Call the Midwife again recently. <laughs> and you think of those little babies, and they cling on, don't they? But their little grasp is not much. But the nurse holds them absolutely fast, doesn't she? And our clinging on to Christ, of course we do. But our clinging on is like that of a baby. But his arms are around us the good shepherd who will never drop us, never let us go. And we see these things afresh as we worship and we say, yes, you are my God. You are my God. You are my saviour. Receive my praise. He has promised to save us, come what may, and his covenant promise will not be broken. Great is your faithfulness, O God, my Father. So that's why we worship. Do you want to come to church on Sunday? I hope you do. I've jumped my next, my last question. When do we worship? (laughs) When do we worship? Look at verses 23 through to 25. It's too much here for us to look at tonight, but it says there, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. There's so much here, but notice the writer pictures the church meeting in the run-up to the day. The final day, the day of God, when Christ returns and the dead shall rise. The Lord's day, the day of the Lord. It's a, Sunday is a prefigurement of that. Jesus rose that first Easter Sunday as a prefigurement of the last day when all will rise from the dead. So what day does the early church meet on for worship? Well, it's prefiguring the day. So it meets on Sunday. The day that prefigures the last day. It's very interesting. If you read through the Gospels, We believe that Jesus died on the Friday, but it's difficult to find that in the Gospels. But every single one of the four Gospels says quite clearly, on the first day of the week, Jesus rose. Every Gospel makes it absolutely clear, this is the day. This is our worship day. Old Testament, Saturday, but that's the Old Covenant, that's gone. New covenant, if you like, new Sabbath. The first day of the week. On the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. And so the New Testament church is met on Sunday to rejoice and remember what Christ has done and where we are going, by where is world history going? 
to the day. We meet together every Sunday as we look for the, as it were, the final Sunday, the day of the Lord. If you find you are a person who wants to worship, wants to worship the true and living God, then God has been dealing with you. God is seeking worshippers and evidently he's been seeking you and he has found you and you are a special person as you've trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You're meant to be part of the congregation. God has set apart the godly for himself and the godly are those who are loved by God and who want to love God back in worship. They want, they desire and admire and join the choir. Worship? What is the church doing? Most gloriously, we worship meeting God through Jesus in heaven because God is so good and we do it on the Lord's day I hope that's helpful to you to be reminded of these straightforward things on this your anniversary we'll stop there let me pray and then perhaps we'll go and sing our last hymn Father God we come before you and thank you again. Lord, thank you for grace beyond measure. Thank you, Lord, for everybody here. And Lord, I do pray that you would help us to take seriously afresh who we are. Lord, perhaps at work, we're just like everybody else, or at school, or at college. But Lord, we are those that you have sought to bring to yourself, to become your worshippers. We are special in your sight. And Lord, we do pray that we may take this great matter of worship seriously. For Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Oh Lord, bless this church, this congregation. May this word fall into good hearts and redound to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.